Section 36 of The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 32, Part 1. In winter's tedious nights, sit by the fire, with good old folks, and let them tell thee tales of woeful ages long ago be tid. And, ere thou bid good night to quit their grief, tell thou the lamentable fall of me. King Richard II, Act Five, Scene One. Far different had been the fate of the misguided heir of Scotland from that which was publicly given out in the town of Falkland. His ambitious uncle had determined on his death as the means of removing the first and most formidable barrier betwixt his own family and the throne. James, the younger son of the king, was a mere boy, who might at more leisure be easily set aside. Ramorny's views of aggrandizement, and the resentment which he had latterly entertained against his masters, made him a willing agent in young Rothsay's destruction. Dwining's love of gold, and his native malignity of disposition, rendered him equally forward, it had been resolved with the most calculating cruelty that all means which might leave behind marks of violence were to be carefully avoided, and the extinction of life suffered to take place of itself by privation of every kind acting upon a frail and impaired constitution. The Prince of Scotland was not to be murdered, as Ramorny had expressed himself on another occasion, he was only to cease to exist." Rothsay's bedchamber in the tower of Falkland was well adapted for the execution of such a horrible project. A small narrow staircase, scarce known to exist, opened from thence by a trapdoor to the subterranean dungeons of the castle, through a passage by which the feudal lord was wont to visit, in private and in disguise, the inhabitants of those miserable regions. By this staircase the villains conveyed the insensible prince to the lowest dungeon of the castle, so deep in the bowels of the earth, that no cries or groans, it was supposed, could possibly be heard, while the strength of its store and fastenings must for a long time have defied force, even if the entrance could have been discovered. Bonthrin, who had been saved from the gallows for the purpose, was the willing agent of Ramorny's unparalleled cruelty to his misled and betrayed patron. This wretch revisited the dungeon at the time when the prince's lethargy began to wear off, and when, awaking to sensation, he felt himself deadly cold, unable to move, and oppressed with fetters, which scarce permitted him to stir from the dank straw on which he was laid. His first idea was that he was in a fearful dream, his next brought a confused augury of the truth. He called, shouted, yelled, at length in frenzy, but no assistance came and he was only answered by the vaulted roof of the dungeon. The agent of hell heard these agonizing screams, and deliberately reckoned them against the taunts and reproaches with which Rothsay had expressed his instinctive aversion to him. When, exhausted and hopeless, the unhappy youth remained silent, the savage resolved to present himself before the eyes of his prisoner. The locks were drawn, the chain fell, the prince raised himself as high as his fetters permitted, a red glare, against which he was fain to shut his eyes, streamed through the vault, 
and when he opened them again it was on the ghastly form of one whom he had reason to think dead. He sunk back in horror. "'I am judged and condemned,' he exclaimed, "'and the most abhorred fiend in the infernal regions is sent to torment me.' "'I live, my lord,' said Bonthrin, "'and that you may live and enjoy life. "'Be pleased to sit up and eat your victuals.' "'Free me from these irons,' said the prince. "'Release me from this dungeon. "'And, dog as thou art, "'thou shalt be the richest man in Scotland.' "'If you would give me the weight of your shackles in gold,' said Bronthrin, "'I would rather see the iron on you than have the treasure myself. "'But look up, you were wont to love delicate fare. "'Behold how I have catered for you.' "'The wretch, with fiendish glee, unfolded a piece of rawhide "'covering the bundle which he bore under his arm, "'and, passing the light to and fro before it, "'showed the unhappy prince a bull's head recently hewn from the trunk.' and known in Scotland as the certain signal of death. He placed it at the foot of the bed, or rather lair, on which the prince lay. "'Be moderate in your food,' he said. "'It is like to be long ere thou gets another meal.' "'Tell me but one thing, wretch,' said the prince. "'Does Ramorny know of this practice?' "'How else hadst thou been decoyed hither? "'Poor woodcock, thou art snared.' answered the murderer. With these words, the door shut, the bolts resounded, and the unhappy prince was left to darkness, solitude, and misery. Oh, my father, my prophetic father, the staff I leaned on has indeed proved a spear. We will not dwell on the subsequent hours, nay, days, of bodily agony and mental despair. But it was not the pleasure of heaven that so great a crime should be perpetrated with impunity, Catherine Glover and the Glee woman, neglected by the other inmates, who seemed to be engaged with the tidings of the prince's illness, were, however, refused permission to leave the castle until it should be seen how this alarming disease was to terminate, and whether it was actually an infectious sickness. Forced on each other's society, the two desolate women became companions, if not friends, and the union drew somewhat closer when Catherine discovered that this was the same female minstrel on whose account Henry Wind had fallen under her displeasure. She now heard his complete vindication, and listened with ardor to the praises which Louise heaped on her gallant protector. On the other hand, the minstrel, who felt the superiority of Catherine's station and character, willingly dwelt upon a theme which seemed to please her, and recorded her gratitude to the stout smith in the little song of Bold and True, which was long a favorite in Scotland. O oh, bold and true, in bonnet blue, that fear or falsehood never knew, whose heart was loyal to his word, whose hand was faithful to his sword, seek Europe wide from sea to sea, but bonny blue cap still for me. I've seen Almain's proud champions prance, have seen the gallant knights of France, unrivaled with the sword and lance, have seen the sons of England true, wield the brown bill and bend the yew, search France the fair and England free, but bonny blue cap still for me. In short, though Louise's disreputable occupation would have been in other circumstances an objection to Catherine's voluntarily frequenting her company, yet, forced together as they now were, she found her a humble and accommodating companion. They lived in this manner for four or five days, and, in order to avoid as much as possible the gaze, 
and perhaps the incivility of the menials in the offices, they prepared their food in their own apartment. In the absolutely necessary intercourse with domestics, Louise, more accustomed to expedients, bolder by habit, and desirous to please Catherine, willingly took on herself the trouble of getting from the pantler the materials of their slender meal, and of arranging it with the dexterity of her country. The glee woman had been abroad for this purpose upon the sixth day, a little before noon, and the desire of fresh air, or the hope to find some salad or pot-herbs, or at least an early flower or two, with which to deck their board, had carried her into the small garden appertaining to the castle. She re-entered her apartment in the tower with a countenance pale as ashes, and a frame which trembled like an aspen leaf. Her terror instantly extended itself to Catherine, who could hardly find words to ask what new misfortune had occurred. "'Is the Duke of Rothsay dead?' "'Worse, they are starving him alive. "'Madness, woman!' "'No, no, no, no!' said Louise, speaking under her breath, and huddling her words so thick upon each other that Catherine could hardly catch the sense. "'I was seeking for flowers to dress your pottage "'because you said you loved them yesterday.' my poor little dog thrusting himself into a thicket of yew and holly bushes that grew out of some old ruins close to the castle wall came back whining and howling i crept forward to see what might be the cause and oh i heard a groaning as of one in extreme pain but so faint that it seemed to arise out of the very depth of the earth at length i found it proceeded from a small wrench in the wall covered with ivy and when I laid my ear close to the opening, I could hear the prince's voice distinctly say, It cannot now last long, and then it sunk away in something like a prayer. Gracious heaven, did you speak to him? I said, Is it you, my lord? And the answer was, Who mocks me with that title? I asked him if I could help him, and he answered with a voice I shall never forget. Food, food, I die of famine. So I came hither to tell you. What is to be done? Shall we alarm the house? Alas, that were more likely to destroy than to aid, said Catherine. And what then shall we do? said Louise. I know not yet, said Catherine, prompt and bold on occasions of moment, though yielding to her companion in ingenuity of resource on ordinary occasions. I know not yet, but something we will do. The blood of Bruce shall not die unaided. So saying, she seized the small cruise which contained their soup, and the meat of which it was made, wrapped some thin cakes which she had baked into the fold of her plaid, and, beckoning her companion to follow with a vessel of milk, also part of their provisions, she hastened towards the garden. "'So our fair vestal is stirring abroad,' said the only man she met, who was one of the menials, but Catherine passed on without notice or reply, and gained the little garden without farther interruption. Louise indicated her to a heap of runes, which, covered with underwood, was close to the castle wall. It had probably been originally a projection from the building, and the small fissure, which communicated with the dungeon, contrived for air, had terminated within it. But the aperture had been a little enlarged by decay, and admitted a dim ray of light to its recesses, although it could not be observed by those who visited the place with torchlight aids. 
here is dead silence said catherine after she had listened attentively for a moment heaven and earth he is gone we must risk something said her companion and ran her fingers over the strings of her guitar a sigh was the only answer from the depth of the dungeon catherine then ventured to speak i am here my lord i am here with food and drink ha ramorny the jest comes too late i am dying was the answer his brain is turned and no wonder thought catherine but whilst there is life there may be hope it is i my lord catherine glover i have food if i could pass it safely to you heaven bless thee maiden i thought the pain was over but it glows again within me at the name of food the food is here but how ah uh, how can i pass it to you the chink is so narrow the wall is so thick yet there is a remedy i have it quick louise cut me a willow bough the tallest you can find the glee maiden obeyed and by means of a cleft in the top of the wand catherine transmitted several morsels of the soft cakes soaked in broth which served at once for food and for drink the unfortunate young man ate little and with difficulty but prayed for a thousand blessings on the head of his comforter i had destined thee to be the slave of my vices he said and yet thou triest to become the preserver of my life but away and save thyself i will return with food as i shall see opportunity said catherine just as the glee maiden plucked her sleeve and desired her to be silent and stand close both crouched among the runes and they heard the voices of ramorny and the mediciner in close conversation he is stronger than i thought said the former in a low croaking tone how long held out dalwalsi when the knight of liddesdale prisoned him in his castle of hermitage for a fortnight answered dwining but he was a strong man and had some assistance by grain which fell from a granary above his prison-house were it not better end the matter more speedily the black douglas comes this way he is not an albany's secret he will demand to see the prince and all must be over ere he comes they passed on in their dark and fatal conversation now gain we the tower said catherine to her companion when she saw they had left the garden i had a plan of escape for myself i will turn it into one of rescue for the prince the day woman enters the castle about vesper time and usually leaves her cloak in the passage as she goes into the pantler's office with the milk take thou the cloak muffle thyself close and pass the warder boldly he is usually drunken at that hour and thou wilt go as the day woman unchallenged through the gate and a long bridge if thou bear thyself with confidence then away to meet the black douglas he is our nearest and only aid but said louise is he not that terrible lord who threatened me with shame and punishment believe it said catherine such as thou or i never dwelt an hour in the douglas's memory either for good or evil tell him that his son-in-law the prince of scotland dies treacherously famished in falkland castle and thou wilt merit not pardon only but reward i care not for reward said louise the deed will reward itself but methinks to stay is more dangerous than to go let me stay then 
and nourish the unhappy prince and do you depart to bring help if they kill me before you return i leave you my poor lute and pray you to be kind to my poor charlotte no louise replied catherine you are a more privileged and experienced wanderer than i do you go and if you find me dead on your return as may well chance give my poor father this ring and a lock of my hair and say catherine died in endeavouring to save the blood of bruce and give this other lock to henry say catherine thought of him to the last and that if he has judged her too scrupulous touching the blood of others he will then know it was not because she valued her own they sobbed in each other's arms and the intervening hours till evenings were spent in endeavouring to devise some better mode of supplying the captive with nourishment and in the construction of a tube composed of hollow reeds slipping into each other by which liquids might be conveyed to him the bell of the village church of falkland tolled to vespers the day or farm woman entered with her pitchers to deliver the milk for the family and to hear and tell the new stirring she had scarcely entered the kitchen when the female minstrel again throwing herself in catherine's arms and assuring her of her unalterable fidelity crept in silence downstairs the little dog under her arm a moment after she was seen by the breathless catherine wrapped in the day woman's cloak and walking composedly across the drawbridge so said the warder you return early to-night may bridget small mirth towards in the hall ha wench sick times are sad times i have forgotten my tallies said the ready-witted frenchwoman and will return in the skimming of a bowie she went onward avoiding the village of falkland and took a footpath which led through the park catherine breathed freely and blessed god when she saw her lost in the distance it was another anxious hour for catherine which occurred before the escape of the fugitive was discovered this happened so soon as the day girl having taken an hour to perform a task which ten minutes might have accomplished was about to return and discovered that someone had taken away her grey frieze cloak a strict search was set on foot at length the woman of the house remembered the glee maiden and ventured to suggest her as one not unlikely to exchange an old cloak for a new one the warder strictly questioned averred he saw the day woman depart immediately after vespers and on this being contradicted by the party herself he could suggest as the only alternative that it must needs have been the devil as however the glee woman could not be found the real circumstances of the case were easily guessed at and the steward went to inform sir john ramorny and dwining who were now scarcely ever separate of the escape of one of their female captives everything awakens the suspicions of the guilty they looked on each other with faces of dismay and then went together to the humble apartment of catherine that they might take her as much as possible by surprise while they inquired into the facts attending louise's disappearance where is your companion young woman said ramorny in a tone of austere gravity i have no companion here answered catherine trifle not replied the knight i mean the glee maiden who lately dwelt in this chamber with you she is gone they tell me said catherine gone about an hour since and whither said dwining how answered catherine 
should I know which way a professed wanderer may choose to travel? She was tired, no doubt, of a solitary life, so different from the scenes of feasting and dancing which her trade leads her to frequent. She is gone, and the only wonder is that she should have stayed so long. This, then, said Ramorny, is all you have to tell us. All that I have to tell you, Sir John, answered Catherine firmly, and if the prince himself inquire, I can tell him no more. There is little danger of his again doing you the honour to speak to you in person, said Ramorny, even if Scotland should escape being rendered miserable by the sad event of his decease. Is the Duke of Rothsay so very ill? asked Catherine. No help, save in heaven, answered Ramorny, looking upward. Then may there yet be help there, said Catherine, if human aid prove unavailing. Amen said Ramorny, with the most determined gravity, while Dwining adopted a face fit to echo the feeling, though it seemed to cost him a painful struggle to suppress his sneering yet soft laugh of triumph, which was peculiarly excited by anything having a religious tendency. And it is men, earthly men, and not incarnate devils, who thus appeal to heaven, while they are devouring by inches the lifeblood of their hapless master, muttered Catherine, as her two baffled inquisitors left the apartment. Why sleeps the thunder? But it will roll ere long, and, oh, may it be to preserve as well as to punish! End of section 36 Recording by Campbell Shelp